Welcome back to the Love Your Story podcast. Today's episode is entitled Life Interrupted. Problems call forth our courage and our wisdom. This comes from Scott Peck. He's the author of The Road Less Traveled. And he says, quote, problems call forth our courage and our wisdom. Indeed, they create our courage and our wisdom. It is only because of problems that we grow mentally and spiritually, unquote. Stay tuned for today's episode, which I have created to remind us all about the courage and wisdom that we have gained from our problems and challenges, and that Life Interrupted is actually just life. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. As most of you know, the Love Your Story podcast started from an earlier time in my life where I didn't love my story. I felt shame and disappointment about my three failed marriages. I felt like I had failed in places where I was meant to succeed. What I wasn't seeing during those rough years was the relationship problems and all my efforts at saving my relationships, the struggles and the learning, the mistakes the stretching that was required in the most painful places, and maybe especially the spiritual experiences I had as I tried to stand again after being metaphorically gutted in all kinds of ways. Well, these events would create courage and wisdom. They would show me my own strength. They would give me empathy and understanding that I could never have had if I hadn't been in the battles I'd fought. I am sure that you can think back on your life and recognize the same thing. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross said, quote, The most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fill them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep loving concern. Beautiful people do not just happen. That quote comes from an episode that I did earlier, the first year of the podcast called Beautiful People Do Not Just Happen, and that one is worth looking at as well. But today's episode is a reminder that the problems in your life, big and small, have the potential to call forth your courage and your wisdom. They have the potential to create in you understanding and empathy and to align you with the human plight in ways that the easy life just wouldn't do for you. As we traverse our problems, sometimes it's hard to remember that they are opportunities, that they are workshops. So this reminder episode is a space for you to look at the problems you are currently wrestling with. Think of one. What is it? Let's pinpoint it right here. Now, I want you to take a minute and console yourself with the knowledge that you are growing 
and then consider what story you can create around it that will serve you best, that will help you with that growth state, that will bring hope bubbling to the surface, even if it's just hope for a better time, with the knowing that at some point the difficult parts of your journey are going to make more sense. I want to share some specific examples with you from some past episodes. In episode 22, Becky Andrews, a blind woman, a mom, a mental health counselor, she shared her story of an important crossroads where she recognized a crucial moment in her life where she could choose to control her fear or to stay homebound. See, she shifted from her fear and chose how she was going to let her problem of losing her eyesight and the fear that she felt around that control her life. Let's listen to that blurb. Here's Becky. Got to go back to an experience that happened about 25 years ago. Hard to believe it's, it's been that long. But it was a time when I had that, that moment of feeling brave and afraid. And I was also a time when I felt that distinct shift in my brain on how I could, how I could make that choice and see things differently. My vision had declined at this time and I was in the process of learning to be confident with my new white cane. It was a summer morning and my husband was leaving for work. I was home with our two young children. They were still sleeping. I remember going out, sitting on the front porch, feeling a little discouraged and afraid. I wanted to take the kids on a summer outing yet also was kind of nervous to do that with my cane and vision loss. I remember sitting there on the porch feeling kind of sad for a moment about my situation. And then I had this shift and I recognized that I did, I had a choice on how I looked at this situation. I still can remember my mind shifting to gratitude. My husband had, he just left for work. I had two healthy children sleeping and the day was ahead of us. I could choose how to live this day. I was afraid, pretty afraid. I was, I, my world was closing in visually and um, I was nervous about getting back out in the world. But I decided to pull out the cane, study the bus schedule and plan a fun outing for the day. I reflect back on that day and realize that I not only pulled out my cane, but I pulled out courage and showed up in the world in a new way. What do you think prompted that, that change, that there you are in that really critical moment of, you know, I can feel sorry for myself or I can, you know, I can be overwhelmed with what's facing me. And then all of a sudden you just have this clarity and then the strength to back it up, to actually move forward with a a different perception of things. I, you know, I think we juggle that, that being afraid and being brave. And in that moment, I realized that that, that desire to, to get out into the world was bigger than the fear. As long as it was a little bit bigger, I was going to go for it. And it, you know, it turned into this, this remarkable day, this, this day of empowerment. Even though, you know, my kids didn't know that I was being, you know, that this was testing my courage. It became really a, a day, a shift where I recognized that 
Retinitis pigmentosa, losing my vision, was going to teach me a lot. It had a lot to offer me if I would choose to show up and, and work through that fear. Sure. And don't you think that there are so many moments like that in everyone's life where you're struck by something and it's a choice. It's a choice to say, do I let the overwhelm or the fear or the, you know, whatever it is that that I'm faced with, the sorrow, whatever, um, overwhelm me and and crush and make me small? Or, or, you know, what are my other options? Do I live big? I'm sure that everyone has something like that to different degrees in their life with different situations. I think we all can relate to that, you know, on it. If we're, if we're living life fully, it's almost this daily, daily process that we, that we experience, you know, sometimes it's, it's bigger, maybe memorable experiences like that day on the porch or those times that we really felt that shift. But I think, you know, if we're daring greatly, as Brene Brown talks about, that we are, we're being brave and afraid each day. Helen Keller once said, quote, although the world is very full of suffering, it is also full of the overcoming of it. Unquote. I love that thought, the overcoming of it, the struggle. These are the opportunities of that metaphorical cocoon. Richard Bach, he's one of my favorite writers. He wrote the Jonathan Livingston Siegel. He pointed out, quote, what the caterpillar calls the end of the world the master calls the butterfly, unquote. We are all at different stages within our cocoons. We are changing and growing and turning stubby legs into beautiful wings. I always remember the example taught in grade school, how you can't help a chicken break out of its egg or it won't be strong enough to survive. And you can't pry a rose's petals open or it will wilt and die. It has to open at its own time. And you can't tear open the cocoon to help the butterfly emerge. The butterfly must break out of the cocoon itself in order to have the strength to fly off. We also are of a grand design, and that design requires struggle. But that struggle creates beauty and strength. Let me share another example from an earlier Love Your Story podcast episode. This was one of the craziest stories that I've heard on the podcast. It was episode 21 where I interviewed Rusty Lindquist, and he shared his story of his father trying to sacrifice him as Abraham had tried to sacrifice his son Isaac in the Bible. Well, Rusty's mother got wind of this and she escaped with her two children, but the drama and the trauma doesn't stop there. It's a really almost unbelievable story that I highly recommend you go back and listen to the whole thing. But today I just want to share this little clip. One of the things that we talk about on this podcast is how we have the power to choose our own perspectives and interpretations of our stories, to find empowerment and joy instead of letting them serve as roadblocks. And you have a striking story that I first heard on your TEDx talk. Can you share your story with us and what you've done with that story? Yeah, I'd be happy to. That story really has become the foundation of my life. And and I think that's that's sort of the core point uh, to begin with, is that we get the opportunity to choose how to interpret our story, whether we choose to see ourselves as victims of a story or whether we choose to interpret that story as something that gives us strength that is unique to us. 
it's really up to us. So my story really begins when I was two years old. My biological father developed schizophrenia, late onset schizophrenia. And he was just hearing voices. And these voices were, you know, really leading him to do really peculiar things. And when I was about two, he had imagined that what he was supposed to do was uh, become the new prophet. And in order to prove his worth and his qualification, he was to make a sacrifice, which was to be me. My mom didn't like this idea very much, and she, uh, she was able to get my, both myself and my sister, who was a couple of years older than I, and literally ran out of the house. And we got in the car and we drove away and we lived in the car for, for quite some time. We had literally nothing. We didn't have access to money. We didn't have access to a place to live. We just were literally running because he, feeling like God had asked him to do this, had, you know, was, was trying to find us. And so we spent the next many years uh, sort of on the run. We eventually found a trailer home to stay in. And we basically moved about every year to year and a half uh, from small town to small town, uh, always inconspicuous, you know, small locations, just trying to stay under the radar and never allowing ourselves to really settle down. And during this time, of course, we really had next to nothing except for that we had each other, which really, to me, was everything. As tough as times got, and and there were very tough times, there were times when we had very little or nothing to eat, uh, where I would have to steal food from neighbors' houses or construction sites. Um, I would grab workers' lunch boxes and, and take their sandwiches. You know, we just had each other, and we often didn't have running water, we didn't have electricity, and so that meant that I usually stunk, which meant when I would go to school in my old, ill-fitting, out-of-style clothes, I would be beat up and picked on and pushed down, and and I never really had friends, and I would usually sort of uh, sneak my way home after school because I was trying to avoid being discovered because I knew what would happen if I was. But I would always come home and my mom would be there and she was just my strength. She was incredible. She had a beautiful voice. She was a singer. Uh, that's how she earned her living. And she was a black belt in karate. You just did not mess with her. Uh, she just was amazing. We just always had each other. And that was really the only thing that I needed. And I sort of learned to live with not having much. There were times we lived in a tent. There were times when we ate worms, squirrels, just really whatever we could find. Even later, when we could no longer afford for my sister to stay with us, you know, my mom and I stayed together. And then one night we were living in, we lived in the little trailer, camper trailer in the backwoods of, of Montana. And one night um, she would leave because she was a singer. So she would leave and she would be gone for several days, a week or so at a time, and then she'd come back. And one night when she was supposed to come back, she didn't. And I remember those nights when she would come back, though they were just so exciting because we just, I loved her so much. And she was, I just looked forward to them. And I remember that night, you know, it was winter and I was huddled, we didn't have heat. So I was just huddled under a blanket and with my face pressed up against the, 
the cold window peering into the darkness and just waiting for the telltale signs of those headlights coming through the trees to indicate she had come home. And I just waited and I waited and she didn't ever come. And so eventually my tears turned into tiredness and I fell asleep and I woke up the next morning and I thought that I would just make sure to play around the trailer that day because clearly she would be coming home. She was probably just running late for some reason. And so I waited that day and I waited the next day and I actually don't even remember how long I waited. One night though, I was sleeping when I all of a sudden heard the, the crunch of tire tracks on the gravel. And this was not a neighborhood. This was just a trailer in the middle of the forest. So it was not like there were others that were around. And um, I looked out and it was a strange car, but my mom got out of the car and she had a brace around her neck. And it turns out that she had been in an accident and had broken her neck and had no way to contact me. We didn't have a phone. We didn't have electricity. But at this moment, life had really dealt her a bad blow. And she would later explain to me that during this accident, she had been, she had been killed and that a wandering spirit had entered her body and that spirit was not my mother. We packed all of our stuff into a bag, a couple glad garbage bags. I remember it was kind of funny. And then we drove that night uh, through the night to Utah and she brought me to my grandma's house. The next morning sort of sat me down in the living room and, and told me that she was leaving. It was sort of the first time that my world just stopped because I, I didn't know how to process that. I didn't know we'd been through so much. She had been married two other times, but three other times. After that, each of those marriages were abusive, you know, angry, mean, drunk people. It didn't, just didn't go well. We had always just had each other and all of a sudden I had to face the prospect of a life without her. And I was 12 years old. It was just unthinkable. I remember when she got up and left, I just sort of shut down. And it kind of felt at that, you know, around that time and about the six months after where I realized that, that it was real, that she wasn't actually coming back. And I sort of had to come to grips with this new reality I went to live with another family and and that wasn't a very smooth thing either. And this was just a really hard time and it really felt like life had just had it in for me. And I felt like it, would, it had thrown me down and it was beating me up and stamping on me and just getting all kinds of pleasure out of watching me suffer. I developed uh, Tourette's at this time. And so that made it you know hard because then I was ridiculed at school and made fun of and my family would make fun of me. and. And it just felt like, you know what? I was on a path that was going to lead nowhere. And all of a sudden I realized something. I re and I, it was it's strange when I look back because I was only 12, maybe 13 by the time this sort of realization hit me. But I realized that I didn't have to be a victim. And I didn't have to subscribe to this story that life had given me. I didn't have to simply ensure the continuation of this, of this narrative. And, and I thought about it like that. And I realized that I had the, the ability to either allow myself to be consumed by 
anger and pity and regret and loathing and of life and all of this negative energy, or I could choose to do something about it. And at that moment, uh, I really started to make up my mind that I was going to be strong, that I was going to change my life, that I was going to allow that what I actually had was that I had been given this incredible gift, this gift of a sequence of experiences that gave me an inner strength that nobody else I knew had. And I realized that the type of person I was able to be because of that story, because of that, those experiences, was something that other people lacked. And I started to see it as an asset and not as a liability. I started to recognize that this was the thing that was going to set me apart in life. It was going to be my foundation. And wow, what a tellable story. I mean, I've given just an incredibly high overview summary, and I have left out so many of the amazing and terrible things inside of it. But I recognized that it was an asset, and that was a real turning point for me. His story is an excellent example of being able to choose the story you create about your experiences. Rusty could have been a very traumatized and broken man, but his choice to look at his story as the space for overcoming and sharing created a successful outlook on life for him. And he went on to create a solid marriage, a close family with lots of kids, a successful and stable career, and a platform for sharing his story to help others. This was built intentionally. This was the overcoming. Here's another one. In episode 65, Annadelle Lemon shares some ideas on taking back our power. Now, I don't know all the processes of healing that Rusty went through as he grew up, but this next example shines a light on that process, that process of healing and being gentle with ourselves as we enter the recovery phase. When Annadelle was 15 years old, Her father shot her mother, and then he killed himself in a tragedy that certainly created a difficult story for Annadelle. Instead of letting her story and her problems hold her back, Annadelle found that she naturally started to look for things that she could be grateful for in her life. She says that being able to get to that space of gratitude for the growth, the life shifts, the new opportunities, that despite her losses, she could see good things that had come from it, and that this was key. First, there is a process of grieving our losses. And I think it's an important piece of the puzzle as we discuss this idea of life interruptions, things happening that we don't expect. And when those things happen, there's going to be a space of healing. And because we need that space, it's important that we have compassion for ourselves and for our pain, for the process that we're going to go through as part of the growth. So we need to allow for that part of the struggle without self-recrimination. Let's be real about how we heal. It is a process, and that process requires self-compassion and allowing and a tenderness rather than judgment and pressure. Here's a little bit of what Annadelle has to say about that. The first thing that I realized is that I was teaching these tools, but they were more for old grief and old, you know, old sorrow. And back last year in December, I lost my 24 year old niece who was pregnant with her first child. And I realized that I could not 
teach and tell my sister at the time, although my sister was amazing with this and, you know, it started using some of these things and, and had gratitude from the beginning, but I, you can't tell someone who has new grief, Oh, Hey, have gratitude. You cannot do that. So the first thing that I always tell people now after losing her and, and I was at an event speaking and this totally changed the way I taught this is, is to go through the five stages of grief first because you cannot have gratitude unless you felt that emotion and that horrible pain and allowing that to sit with you and recognizing it and letting it be and giving yourself that permission to go through those five stages of grief. I'll just go through them really quick, which are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and accepting. So unless you're going through those stages and you will probably go through these stages throughout your life if when it deals with losing a loved one but the the point is you do not want to stay there and using tools to get you out of that and and when you fall into one of those things recognizing that it's temporary and recognizing that there are tools to get you out can i just say that i think this is a really important step because so many times when we are in spaces of deep pain or spaces of deep depression of our dark spaces It's hard to picture sometimes that they are temporary places. There is so much pain involved that even acknowledging that it's a temporary space because you can't, you can't picture being out of it. So I think that it's really lovely what you're saying about it. It doesn't show weakness not to be able to pop right out of every difficult situation. It is a process of dealing with our pain and our dark places and they have to have their due. Allowing that and knowing, like you say, that on the other side, when you get through it, that there is something that you can bend down and pick up, that there are other tools when you get there. But for now, allow yourself to be in the space of of pain and feeling and emotion and sitting with it and not, not fighting it off like there is something wrong with having that type of human emotion that's very much a part of being human. Yeah, absolutely. And along with that, People of faith have a tendency to hold quite a bit of guilt. And so I have seen some people, when they're not able to find that gratitude in the situation right away, there's a lot of guilt involved in that. So being able to recognize and knowing that you can go through these steps and feel that emotion without having guilt that you're not grateful for that is really, really huge, especially I think women hold a lot more guilt than men, but both do. And knowing that, that it's okay not to be grateful right away is huge. And that, you know, because guilt has a tendency to kind of run our lives sometimes. So as we are making our best life plans, shit happens and life, the life we envisioned is interrupted or even completely rerouted. In episode 103 and 104, my interviews with Tanya Terry illustrate how she found her way back to herself after five abusive marriages. Now, you got to know that those weren't in her plan. In episode 115, Sarah Dean works through infertility and the life that she had planned, the life she wanted, and instead she finds a way to create something different than she originally expected the Shameless Mom Academy, but something that's beautiful and powerful and helps her to be the best mom that she can be to the one son that she was able to have. You know, 
Unexpected things are going to happen. Life is going to interrupt what we have planned. When your husband leaves you unexpectedly, when you don't get that promotion at work that you've invested years into getting, when you get that cancer diagnosis that changes your life, or your child is born with disabilities, what you pictured gets interrupted and the canvas you're painting on suddenly has colors that you never expected to work with. What do you do with those colors? Well, that's up to you. Like Becky's story, like Rusty's story, we always have choice. Now stick with me through a couple threaded thoughts. First, we all know the adage that nobody said life is fair. It's not. The second adage, you can do hard things. And you can The third adage, life is messy. Well, that's a fact too. And the fourth adage, live well, laugh often, love much. I hate that one. It's really annoying, but it's still great advice. In other words, let me sum all of those up together. The very nature of this thing we call life is that nothing is guaranteed, fair, or easy. But we are strong. We can choose to laugh, we can choose to love, and we can choose to live with beauty. In episode 30, this is the episode I was referring to earlier, Beautiful People Do Not Just Happen. In that episode, I quoted Simon Sinek, and I want to use this quote again here because he said, quote, the most important thing to do before we die is live. Well, living is is about this roller coaster of unexpected things. Living wasn't meant to be easy. And I think his quote applies beautifully to this topic because it's during these times of trial when living is the hardest. It's these hard uphill climbs when we often want to stop to sit down on that metaphorical trail or even jump off the cliff. You know, I've had moments where I could not see any point in going on. And I've had times I wanted the whole darn thing to be over with. But I have come to realize that like it or not, living is a collage of beautiful spaces and staggering pain. There are incredible aha moments, even though peace is often fleeting. Uncertainty is a given, and fear in all its forms is a part of the game. But life is also rife with accomplishment and joy and love and magic. It's this mixed bag of everything. And I'll state the obvious. It's the bad that helps us appreciate the good. It's the dark that lets us see the light. Live with all you've got, people. Live before you die. There isn't room for leaving early. We've got power. We've got choices. We've got internal strength. Call on all of that when you need to. And I am also a fan of including God and all that extra power when things get beyond me. I highly recommend it. Think back with me through your life. What courage and wisdom have you gained from your life-interrupted moments? I really want you to think about that because it's those spaces when we start to recognize it that help us to make it through the future hard spaces because we realize 
that those life-interrupted moments hold gifts for us? The answer to this one question is enough to put things into perspective. Your wisdom and courage didn't come from having everything go right. So the fact that it may not all be going smoothly right now is still okay. You are getting tougher, you're getting wiser and braver, and every time the skies darken, you flex those muscles. We either choose to be held hostage by the worst things that happen to us, or we find our way forward, knowing that this too shall pass, and when it does, we will be wiser, we will have a little more courage, and we will have a greater understanding of our own strength. In the words of Aristotle, Quote, it is during our darkest moments that we must focus to see the light. Life interrupted is just life. Maybe not the life we planned, but have faith that the story ends with someone, namely you, who knows things they didn't know when they started, who understands things they did not once understand. And along with that, you'll also have a bag of magic tricks you've learned along your journey. It really is about the journey, and the journey is an adventure, and the nature of an adventure is that you never know what's around the next corner. Surprises are the norm, and struggles make us strong, and the nature of life is the mixed bag of it all. So expect it, embrace it, let it be what it is, the good times and the bad. We've got this. Thanks for being with me today. A quick reminder, go to the loveyourstorypodcast.com for your t-shirts, for the link to buy your copy of Life, Living Intentional and Fearless Every Day. You also have the link to all this 160 plus episodes that have aired over the last three and a half years, including the ones that I shared snippets of today. Your challenge for the week is to take a moment and consider the toughest times of your life and to catalog the growth that came to you during those times. It is a great journal entry that will serve to strengthen you even more as you go through the process of writing it and rereading it. I'll see you in two weeks, people. Back here, same time, same place.